I want to talk to you today about your checkbook. How many of you that are married, how many of you are married, have ever fought about money? Any married couple here that's ever fought about money? Raise your hand. How many of you that are kids that have ever seen your mom and dad fight about money? Almost, okay. So this is a relevant thing, okay? There's three big things in your marriage that wipe you out. Number one is unresolved conflict. Unresolved, that makes you angry. That's the biggie, the biggest one. When I talked to you about the last time we were together, that's the biggest thing. you got to learn how to disagree and get somewhere. And we want to keep working on that. The second thing is sexual infidelity, not being immoral and destroying your covenant relationship. That's a big one. A third one is what I'm going to talk about today. It's fights about money. Any marital counselor will tell you, we've got to teach couples how to get along in communication. Number two... We need to teach him how to be morally faithful and sexually faithful, in other words. And thirdly, one of the big three is what I'm talking about today, finances. So we want to look at what the scripture says about finances. And, and all of our arts are vulnerable. In other words, we, even as I mentioned, finances, all of us have emotions about it. And I want to share with you the source of those emotions because it gets down to some really deep-seated issues about our security. When Mary and I were newly married, I was only 20 years of age, uh, my dad said, I'll support you, Dave, until you get married, and then you pay the bill. So I got married, I was 20 years of age, in the middle of my junior year, December 23rd, and so that summer, a guy came to me and said, because my dad's not going to pay my bills, a friend of mine said, hey, you can sell books for the Southwestern Company. That, that, those are those guys that knock on your door and sell you dictionaries. We were selling Naves Topical Bibles. I went to Nashville, Tennessee. They taught me how to sell the books. We jumped in a car with a U-Haul filled with books. We drove two straight days to L.A. Southwestern Company had never been in L.A. before. They were used to selling in the deep south. They hadn't sold ever in you know, the high-tech capital of the world. And here we landed in downtown L.A. I left the three guys that traveled with us. They smelt our heaven. They hadn't taken showers in three days. And we left them off on street corners. That's what they told us to do. That's what we did. And then Mary and I were on a street corner. The only difference was that we had a vehicle. That was it. Now, that's, that's scary. I didn't know anybody in L.A. I'm from the East Coast, and now I'm from Texas. And so, but I didn't know anybody from California. I'd never been there. And all I had was $15 in my pocket, which in L.A. wasn't going to put a roof overhead, and it wasn't going to put much food in our stomach very long. What do you do? Every one of you in your life, the issue about growing up and becoming adult is that you've got to get out there and face those moments. Some of you that are 30 years of age, you've never done that. Your, your daddy still takes the hit for you. Or you, some of you, your mom takes the hit for you. You're coasting along. You've never found out what it's like that I'm out there. And i got to have food in my stomach, and I have to have a roof over my head. It all boils down to that simple reality. That's what finances is about. Now, what did my heavenly daddy, he puts his arm around my shoulder, and he says, Son, as you get ready to start knocking on these doors, which we're going to talk about today, you got to start knocking on the doors. What does my heavenly father want to teach me so that I don't sit on the curb and cry, which some of you are doing today, financially, you get so depressed, so discouraged, that you, in essence, sit down at the curb and cry. And what you're going to have to do is go to the rescue mission, and we're going to have to take care of you. Well, Mary doesn't like going to the rescue mission, so that's not going to work well for me. So what does my Heavenly Father tell me I need to do? The very first thing is he talks to me about the source of material wealth. And I want you to be honest. You're going to go out this week, 
You're going to go out this week. Some of you are going to be making cement. Some of you are building cars. Uh, some of you are making, you know, taking cars and crushing them and making rebarb and steel beams and all that kind of a thing. Some of you are in the medical profession. Some of you are lawyers and on and on it goes. You know, some of you are going to be precious housewives. You're going to take care of those kids and your husband's out there slugging it out. And some of you are guys that, that you're working with the kids at home and your wife because of the way things are worked out right now. But all of you this week are going to face what I faced. You're all together as a team facing this how are we going to have food in our stomachs how are we going to get a roof over our head and the basic fundamental question is where does the ability to produce wealth come from now your secular friends and this is the atmosphere it's a dominant atmosphere so I want you to be alert for it your secular friends believe that God has nothing to do with business in other words, God has something to do with this morning when we comfort each other and if we lose a loved one in death, we need to have God out there somewhere and somehow the gods are out there and it's fine for you to relate to them in your own private little church service on Sunday morning. But man, when we hit the office on Monday morning, that's where reality happens. And God doesn't really have much to do with that. Like if I'm a big executive for a cement plant, which by the way, some of my friends are, some of you are even here today, and during the week I'll eat breakfast with some of them. They're, they're, they're major players in the cement plant, and they really do love Jesus. So I'm not saying that if you're out there that you don't love Jesus. A lot of you do. But I know that you will face some big industrialists that say, hey man, God has nothing to do with cement making. Some of you are going to travel in New York and you walk into Wall Street walk, you know, as you're walking through you know, packed streets and people with sharp suits and mingled in with street people and everything else and you move towards Wall Street. Get down there in the stock exchange. Man, God has nothing to do with that. There's a whole media that's telling you, leave God out of this stuff, man. That's what produces war and conflict. It's people that get too serious about God. And so the basic thing that starts to come over the atmosphere is God's what we talk about in our own little family circles, our own little church, but he doesn't really have any influence out there in the marketplace. Now, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, because I want to teach you something. Whether it's a Wall Street broker that's 25 years of age and just graduated from Harvard and thinks he hangs the moon, or whether it's Dave Wurtzen out there in the streets of L.A. getting ready to sell books, or whether it's Larry getting ready to make com, you know, cabinets and woodworking and all that kind of stuff. I can go on. Kevin flying. Every one of you are, are subject to this. I want you to learn what Moses taught the children of Israel from Deuteronomy 8. And he says something incredible. These people have just finished walking around the wilderness for 40 years. We'll pick it up in verse 11. It says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Just so you have the picture. This is the group that went to Mount Sinai, and they heard the voice of God, and they received the Ten Commandments. And now the Lord has given them manna, and has given them water from the rock, has supplied their needs in the wilderness. He says, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, he pictures now they're going to go into the land, and when they go into the land, they're going to eat, they're going to be satisfied, they're going to build really fine houses, and they're going to settle down. Their herds and their flocks are going to grow large. It sounds like a bunch of Texans that came to Prairie, Texas, and primitive Texas. And then they started to be blessed, like on the King Ranch. That's the kind of a picture you got here. These people are going to go into the land. The Lord's going to bless them. And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And this is what all of us need to be careful of. When the Lord blesses a people, when he blesses a country materially, we become proud and we forget... That the Lord is the one that brought us out of Egypt as the land of slavery. Like our country has forgotten. The Puritans came to this land because they wanted to worship freely. 
You can read the ancient documents. You have the idea that as an evangelical believer, you're on the outside. You know, what does God have to do with any reality? Man, this is the real world. Well, you happen to be in a land that today is drinking the incredible blessing of people that work their head off, but they believe their hearts out because they came here because they believe that Yahweh would show up and bless them and guide them. That's just the truth. You can study. Read the Mayflower Compact. They didn't say, we're a bunch of seculars. We want to get away from God. We think we can enter the wilderness of the East Coast and we can start hacking down trees. Man, we can make it happen in this land. They say stuff like, by the hand of our good Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us and who rose again from the dead, we ask him to protect us as we enter this wilderness and help us to bring glory to God. That is the way they write. And so you need to understand that. That's what you need to remember. And that's what you need to think about in your own life. That's what Moses is, that's the heritage. And by the way, those early founders read this book and then built their lives. They were very much involved in trying to find what, what God gave in the book of Deuteronomy. Because this is the fountainhead of free representative, representative government that no, everyone has to be subject to the law. This is the book that taught you you have the right to choose your elders and there are, those elders are responsible to be just and fair and to follow the law. That all came into the United States and into our heritage, both first through Britain and then through us, from the book of Deuteronomy. And I didn't make that up. That's the fact, historically. So don't you ever feel like you're on the outside, that you're, you're some kind of a weirdo. You're the one that's in touch with some real basic realities about the way life is. And he goes on and says this. He says, and he led you through the vast and dreadful desert, verse 13, and thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. And this is one of the things I want you to realize. In your idea of finances, you need to realize that part of it is facing the wilderness. Now, as modern technological people, we get real far away from the wilderness. We don't think it's scary anymore. Like, most of you aren't going to face snakes this week and face wild animals. But you, you need to understand that as you go out into the world, that it's a hostile place. And the business world is hostile, and there's lots of insecurity. There's business cycles, and you can make investments. Some of you right now have, have big uh, borrowing in your business. You had to borrow a ton of money in order to get the raw material so that you can make your product, and then you live in anticipation because you have to sell that product, and it's going to be a long time before you get that money back. And how do you handle all that? That's this idea of the isolation of the wilderness. You know, what's going to happen? It's scary. And that's, and it's easy as modern people that we don't feel that there's any danger out there. Yeah, there is. And that's what the, what, what Moses wanted the people of Israel to remember, that they were in the wilderness. But look what it says. The Lord gave them water from the rock, and the Lord gave them manna that no one had ever eaten before. He led you through this vast and dreadful desert. He gave you manna to eat in verse 16. You're something your fathers had never known. He to humble you and to test you that in the end it might go well with you. The very first thing I want to lay down to you is that your heavenly daddy this morning is a loving father. He's a generous father. And so one of the fundamental things we need to get done is as I'm on the streets of L.A., I have to decide, is there a loving heavenly father that wants to take care of me? And what is he going to do for me? And Moses goes on right here and explains what the heavenly father is going to do for me. Look what it says. It says, he says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hand. Verse 17 is really important. It's what I want you to focus on. You may say to yourself, some of you right this morning are saying to yourself, my power, I'm the one that makes this business happen. And my strength, 
I'm the one. It's the strength of my hand. It's my power that produced this wealth for me. Some of you are independent business people. You're going to leave this room, and your idea is, I make it happen. And yeah, you know, I mention Jesus every once in a while, and yeah, I include him. But to be honest with you, I'm the one that makes it happen. In fact, in fact, sometimes I've tried to trust in Jesus, but he blows it. He doesn't do what I want him to do. Contracts don't come through, and on and on it goes. So you just forget about him. That's not going to work today. You've got to understand, Jesus isn't going to do that for you. Because he's God. And you need to decide what's the bottom line of what you produce. And that's what I, I want you to think real hard about that. I want you to think about who do I really believe is going to give me the power to make wealth this week. In other words, to, to work, to have money given to me, to be able to put food in my stomach, to be able to have health, to be able to have strength. Who's really in control of that? And the Lord spelled it out. He says, but remember, it's the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your fathers today. The very first thing I want you to realize, God is the source. He gives every one of you the ability to generate wealth. And it uses words in Hebrews that aren't just meager stuff. Like, if you really love God, you know, he's going to keep you half-starved. You're going to look like someone from Auschwitz, but, but you'll love Jesus. That's not what he says. And from the looks of some of you, I've got some pretty strong evidence that your Heavenly Father is coming through loud and clear with food, which is great. And we laugh about that, but I want you to realize one of the things that's wrong, some of you don't believe that wealth is us come from God. In fact, some of you believe you have a very hostile attitude towards wealth. As soon as you see someone that has prosperity that has plenty of food to eat, that has nice cars to drive, that has nice homes. It just said here that you'll be able to build nice homes. Some of you have the idea, automatically, they cheated to get there. And some of you have been trained from the time you were little bitty kids that anyone that has wealth is a bad person. And some of you have been raised in atmosphere, even as believers, that if you really love Jesus, you'll never have anything nice. You'll always apologize. For, like I had a pastor. Somebody gave him a Lexus, and he apologized to me because he was driving a Lexus. He wanted to make sure that I didn't think he was, he was, you know, he was misusing God's funds. It's automatic. We think like that. If you're really holy, like, man, you need to be sure to keep those missionaries really poor. Make sure you keep those pastors a little bit hungry. Because we don't want them to get unspiritual. And what I want you to know is that's a lie from hell. I want everyone to understand there is absolutely nothing wrong with the production of wealth. And if you believe that there is, you're going to end up stealing it from somebody else because you're covetous. The reason you attack someone that's making wealth is, you, is you, you're, you're not out there doing your thing. You're dependent upon someone else and you will be jealous and envious and you'll try to steal it from someone else. And as believers, we can have nothing to do with that spirit. I want you to know that you live in a really good world, a big world, a bounteous world. And just like when you plant seeds, those seeds, don't you put one grain of wheat in the ground, it doesn't produce just another seed of wheat. It produces thousands of them. That's the incredible, the springtime is an awesome time to see this. And I want every one of you as business people today, what I want you to share is I want you to stop being scared. Boy, one of the greatest gifts as your pastor teacher I would want to give you today is stop being stressed. It doesn't depend upon you. It's not 
all of yours. It's not your burden. If you're carrying the burden, you're trying to exist today. You're trying to make sure your family had enough to eat. Most of you aren't worried so much about that, but you're, I'm not sure we're going to be have enough for retirement. I'm not sure we're going to make it. I'd like to take that big bag of responsibility just off your back. Because if you carry that bag, you're a lousy business person. I want to share something with you. When I was selling books, if I go to the door and say, man, Mrs. Jones, you know, come please, you know, come on, Larry, you need to buy these books for me. If I don't, if I, you don't buy these books, then I'm going to starve. Larry won't buy from me. There's one in a hundred people that buy from that kind of a student salesman. Because I'm too uptight. When I knock on that door and I'm like a scared rabbit, because I mean, I'm not sure I'm going to eat, I'm not sure I'm going to have a roof over my head. Nobody buys from that. I just, I, that's the truth. If you didn't learn anything else, I want to guarantee you, if you're stressed out today, you're a lousy salesman and all the business depends upon sales. You know who buys? You know who people buy from the guy that is easy? The guys when I sold books that were totally non-dependent, they didn't have to sell books at all. One of my friends actually made, he would make fourth, about $3,000 exactly. He'd make $3,000 a week selling books. You all need to go into that profession. So in about three weeks, he didn't really need to sell any more books. You know what? He sold more and more books. It's a nutty thing. It's the way life is. When you're tight and you're scared, then all of us around you go, man, I want to get away from this guy. This guy's driving me nuts. She's so uptight. She's so stressed out. But the guy that's easy and says, you don't have to do it, it's free. It's an amazing thing. People respond to that person. And the neat thing this morning is your heavenly daddy says, I'm the one that gives you the power to create wealth. Now, do you believe that? Some of you are going to make cement. Some of you say, what does God have to do with, with the cement plant? TXI. What do you have to do with Ashgrove? What do you have to do with Holman? What do you have to do with cement? Who made the limestone? Everyone tell me. Who made the limestone? Evolution made it, right? It just happened by chance. Man, molecules billions of years ago exploded, and beautiful Cedar Hill was created. There it is, by accident. How many of you believe that? A secularist is going to tell you that's true. It's your faith commitment. I believe that an incredible artist made limestone cliffs that go all the way down to Austin. Ask Bill Prickrell if you want a very intricate analysis of what that chalk hill is. Everyone at the plant, guys that go to church, guys that, that don't, every one of them are doing something. When they go to Ash Grove tomorrow, every person that walks in the plant is... And they're not thinking all through the day. Be sure to take a breath. If they're thinking about it, they need to go over to walk the hatch of the emergency room. But every single guy, the guy that cusses, the guy that goes to church, the guy that doesn't, every single guy that Ash Grove is breathing. And every breath is a gift from my daddy in heaven. Is that true? I want you to know I believe that with all my heart. It's the truth. Most of you pooped in your pants and wet your diapers and screamed and yelled and went to sleep and you don't even remember the first two years of your life. And those two years were given you as gifts from your heavenly daddy and you're going to end probably in a nursing home dribbling in your pants again and pooping and some nurse taking care of you. So the most arrogant man in this room, just remember, that's reality. And don't think I'm, I'm teasing you and making you laugh. But I'm speaking to you as a pastor teacher. I've been with the babies pooping, and next week I'll be with them again as I take care of our granddaughters on Wednesday through Sunday. So you're all going to have to help us. <laughs> but I have also been in the nursing home. Seriously, I've been in the nursing home doing the same thing. 
And whenever I see an arrogant Wall Street broker where I was raised that mocks the street corner preacher thinking he's such an idiot, I always remember it's not the guy that's proclaiming the incredible truth about Jesus that's an idiot. It's the arrogant, prideful Wall Street guy that thinks he, degree from Harvard, controlled everything. Because the truth is, he's walking, he's breathing because of an incredible source called the living God. And oh, I want to set you free from that. I'm serious. I want you to add yourself. I want you to add yourself. Who do I really believe is the source of my wealth? Because everything flows from that. If you believe your heavenly daddy is the source of your wealth, then you're going to relax. But you're also not going to be a couch potato because your heavenly father is going to tell you, okay, I'm the source of the wealth. I'm the one that gave you strength. And the word strength means your ability, your gifts, your hard work, your discipline, all those things I want to talk to you about now. Those things are all gifts given to you and he expects you to exercise that. So the very first thing that we do is the source. And every one of you should say, Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, the source, God is the one that gives me the ability to create wealth. And the word wealth there means not just sustenance. You need to be satisfied with sustenance. But I want you to know your Heavenly Father usually gives you wealth. He gives you an abundance because that's kind of a God he is. And we're going to talk more next week about sometimes when it doesn't come through and we go through times of testing and how we handle that. But this week, I want you to know that the normal heartbeat of your heavenly daddy is to just overflow upon you with abundance. And it's important then to use that for his glory. But in order for him to do that, you need to not only have the source in him, but you also need to have skill, practical skill in the way that you use that. And there's three P's I want you to think of today. Number one, you need to learn to plan with your finances. Number two, you need to produce. And number three, you need to pinpoint, you need to focus. Let me talk to you first of all about planning. Turn to Luke chapter 14, because the Lord Jesus, you often think of the Son of God, you know, we think of Jesus being like a glorified 60 hippie, wears a bathrobe, he never shaved, never takes a bath, he walks around with a guitar on his back, and he gets 12 disciples following him. That's our idea of Jesus. That's not the biblical idea of Jesus. In fact, I've even noticed in church work over these many years, because I'm always talking about Christ's likeness and being like Christ and believing in grace. So, so one of the things is people always tell me, well, Dave, you know, you know we got to get practical. You know, we need to get, we need to get planning here. And, and the idea that somehow if, if you really believe in Jesus, you're totally unplanned, you're unstructured, you don't do any administration. If you really believe in him, you just trust him. Some of you, are, that's the way you feel. That is not the biblical Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 14. The Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30, is speaking to us about the cost of discipleship. That's what his real point is. He wants you to learn that everything is sourced in God, so it makes sense that you need to put God first, because that's the source of everything. He's not being irrational, and he's not talking about something that only a few people should do. He's saying, hey, this is reality. You should put the kingdom of God first in his righteousness because God is the source of all the things that are blessing to us. So it makes sense to put him first. But Jesus assumes in the practical area, how many of you are in the construction business? How many of you are your architects, contractors, carpenters, any electricians, on and on? All of you in the building business, raise your hands so I can see. A lot of you are here today, okay? The Lord speaks to you today. He says this, verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. So some of you are ranchers. You want to build a water tower for your ranch, or you want to build a windmill to generate electricity. That's the idea here. So suppose one of you wants to build a tower to look over the vineyard. That would be a first century equivalent here. 
For those of you in the modern context, how many of you are going to build houses this week? How many of you are going to build the church that we're doing out here? The Lord Jesus says that kind of, that's the kind of the projects. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down? Some of you have never sat down with your, with your home finances. Some of you fight as husbands and wives over your finances. But if I ask you, tell me what's going on. You know, I say to the wife, tell me what's going on in your finances. She doesn't have any idea what's going on. Or vice versa, the husband have any idea. And I say, have you guys ever sat down and objectively looked at the numbers? And a lot of people say, no, I never did that. Well, that's one thing you learn from Sunday morning. Before you fight anymore, why don't you objectively sit down and look at your finances? Figure out what you have. And this is what it says. Suppose, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was unable to finish. The Lord just can assume, he's really saying, before you decide to follow me, I don't want an emotional decision. I want you to sit down and decide whether you can trust the Son of God, whether you believe the Son of God is, is, is going to die on the cross for your sins and rise again. That's what Jesus is talking about in this context. He says, I don't want you to follow me because you had some emotional appeal. I want you to really think hard about it. That's kind of a teacher Jesus was. He wasn't some radio evangelist or TV evangelist that just motivates people emotionally. Not that all of them do that, but some do. Jesus was the kind of a teacher that would say, here I am. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. I'm going to rise again from the dead. You're, you know, there's going to be witnesses that see me rising again from the dead. You think about it, whether I'm the son of God or not. And you count the cause. If you're going to follow me, I want everything. And I'm really serious about it. Some of you have the idea, like, I don't want you to come to Midlothian Bible Church and say, well, you know, I'm kind of into this spiritual thing, kind of not. I'm going to kind of follow Jesus tonight. It's not going to work. I want every one of you. You say, well, man, you're one of those, you're a minister, so you give your life to everything. I want, I want Wall Street brokers that say, I am a Wall Street broker by the calling of Jesus, and I want you to know that everything I do in my business is going to be for the glory of Jesus. I want electricians that go to the planet TXI and they say, Dear Lord Jesus, protect us today as we handle your incredible creation. Something I don't even understand exactly what it is, electricity. The greatest scientists in the world don't understand exactly what it is, but I'm going to use it carefully today, and I want to train my people working in it. I want you to give us guidance. When a, when a motor goes down, I want electricians. That one of the first things they'll do is, Dear God, give us wisdom to know how to get this motor back up going again. I want diesel mechanics that look at a diesel engine that's broken down. I says, Lord, just thank you for my training. Thank you for helping me to understand how to put this back together and help me to do this wisely and skillfully to the best of my ability. That's what I want. I'm really serious about that. And that's what the Apostle Paul, what, what, what Jesus was saying. He's saying, I want you to sit down and plan and consider in your home financing, what it means is you sit down and you decide as a husband and wife, what do we want to accomplish here? You want to build a house? You want to send your kids to college? You want to be able to give to promised land? You, on and on it goes. You want to think through. You want to sit down and plan. And one of the first things you need to do is you need to figure out how much money is coming in. Because this planning involves budgeting. What do we have coming in? What do we have going out? What's happening? And I want you to know that that's not divorced from being related to Jesus. Those of you that have the gift, in your family life, it's very important for you to sit down. And if you've never worked out a budget, that's one of the very first things you should do this week. And you can get them in the church office. If you, don't, you can just get quick, Quicken or something like that. They, you can do it on a computer. It'll have how much money is coming in, total income coming in, 
Total income going out. Fixed expenses. Those that you don't have control over. They're going out every month, whether you like it or not. Controllable expenses. Those that you do have some discretion over. How much I'm going to give to the Lord to honor him. And then you subtract number how much money is going out from how much money is coming in. And if you come out in the red, you got to go back at your, and look at your controllable expenses and figure it out. Most of you have never done that. Bunch of you have. So you're wringing your hands, you're scared to death, you, you, you call for debt counseling and everything else, because what you do is you rely upon your cards. When you're, when you're out of gas, when you don't have enough money, then we rely upon that, don't we? That's not trusting God. The Lord says, sit down and plan. Anyone that worked in finances can sit down and in about 45 minutes help you to know where you're at in your family finances. Is that true, Don? It's really true. It's not like rocket science mathematics. But some of you, I want to challenge you. Some of you have never done that. If I were to ask you, I want, I want to know how much money do you have coming in? How much money do you have going out? And what's it going out for? And is it consistent with your plan? Is it going to accomplish what you want to accomplish? If a coach went into a football game on Friday night without any planning, they're going to get fired from Midlothian High School for sure. I never went into a football game as a quarterback with my coaches without my coach giving me a plan. I'm serious. He spent hours with me going over the plan. And, man, we perp- we're really focused on that, thinking it through. That's what we need to do with our finances. So I want you to realize planning is not divorced from Jesus. Jesus just assumes that his children will do that with his guidance and direction. The second thing I want you to do is you need to produce in fact, I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians because there was a group of believers. A lot of times people feel if you serve Jesus, it means that you, you uh, sit at home and watch Captain, smoke cigarettes and, and watch Captain Kangaroo. And that's not going to work. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 is real important. There were a group of believers that thought that everyone else needed to keep them going. So they didn't work. What they did is they went and ate lunch at everyone else's house and supper in somebody else's house, and then they took donations from the church. That's really what's happening. So that happened in the first century. It still happens today. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to them. He says, I want every one of you in the Thessalonian church and every one of you in the Midlothian Bible church, I want you to make it your ambition. Here's your ambition. To lead a quiet life. You don't want to make it your ambition to live just this fast-paced, hurried life. That's not going to be good business for you. It's not going to be wise for your family. You need to make it your ambition to live a settled life. And the idea that it doesn't mean that you're not traveling and everything, but it means that you're not living frenzied, is the idea. That you have a quietness in your heart, which is what the Hebrew word shalom means. It says you need to mind your own business. Every one of you, and this is the idea. We use the phrase, mind your own business, which means that I'm not monkeying around in your business. But I want you to stop and think about it. It means to mind your business, your family life, your business life. And the idea is that as individual believers, every one of you is responsible to do your business, to work hard. And he goes on and says that in the next phrase, and to work with your hand, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win respective outsiders, so that you might, might not be dependent on anybody. Some of you have it in your head that everyone owes you something. So what you do, you're on the streets of L.A. like I was, and you get your, your hat out and you say, I'm a poor Houghton College student. Please give to me. Brothers and sisters, that's not going to work. That's not what Paul's talking about. One of God's children shouldn't do that. 
I want to share with you, if you're flat on your back, you've got 104 fever, you've got terrible viruses screaming through your system, we need to take care of you. We need to nurse you. We need to get you to the hospital. We need to pump drugs. We need to do whatever needs to be done. We need to pray for your healing. We need to totally take care of you. That's Christian compassion. But if you can walk, if your hands work, if you're getting up and you can, you, can, you can walk someplace, then you should be able to figure out this week, what do I do with my hands that generate funds that put food in my stomach? And if you can't figure out anything you're doing with your hands and with your feet to produce anything, then you can go hungry. And when you get hungry enough, you might start walking somewhere. You might start doing something with your hands. This is really serious stuff. Christians should not be dependent on anyone except their daddy in heaven. And he's the one that gives you the courage to start knocking on doors. What did I have to do that day? On the streets of L.A., I had a plan. The Southwestern Company had really taught me how to knock on Mrs. Jones's door. They taught me how to turn away from her so I wouldn't scare her to death when she answered the door. They taught me how to turn and smile. They gave me a tremendous speech that would help me to get into selling these books. And 99 out of 100 people would slam the door in their face and say, get out of here. And they come out with shotguns and everything else. It really wasn't quite that bad, but it was pretty bad. 45 homes you knocked in, 45 people would turn you down, and then you might get one that would sit down and listen. It's tough out there. Stop sitting on the curb. I had some guys that were supposed to be selling. They go, oh, I'm so terrible. I'm so scared out here. I don't know what I'm going to do in L.A. I just, I just, I don't have everything. It's just terrible, terrible, terrible. Well, you're going to go and eat at the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. Mary and I were the young couple. I married Mary. You know what? Mary didn't marry me to cry on the street corner. And husbands, I want you to really listen to this. I had to start knocking on doors. And that's what I produced with my hand. The Lord gave Dave Wartson a mouth. He gave me an ability to communicate. In this case, I was supposed to be selling Bibles. And that was my job. And I could sit and cry on the streets of L.A. till I was dead in the, till I died. And nothing's going to happen. I had to start knocking on doors and facing rejection, facing a lot of no's. But you know what? Before that night, before that evening came, I had sold some books. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that's the, that if you're young, that's the greatest, one of, one of life's greatest thrills. To realize that my daddy didn't write a check. My heavenly daddy did. But my heavenly daddy did it through me. My ability. You want to be a man? Every one of you wants to be a man, you younger ones. You want to be a real grown-up woman? You know what it means to be grown-up, really? It means you have your abilities, you have your heavenly daddy, and you go to work. And then your daddy blesses you. And when you eat a meal, you say, Dear Heavenly Daddy, thank you so much. What an awesome thing. I put in eight hours, and you provided for me through my skills. But you got to produce you got to get out there and do something. Some of you can learn that lesson from athletics. The biggest kick for me at a football game is when the wind was knocked out of me, there was dirt all over my face, somebody had just kicked me in the stomach again and knocked all the wind out of me, and I came back in the huddle, and these big old strong alignment would say, what do you think, Wurtson? And I never said, well, let's just go home now. Why don't we just go home and let's go drink some Cokes? The, man, the biggest kick in the world was the city of that team, because it's a team together. Say, huh? Let's go. We're going down. That was the fun of football. We're going to score. 
They just kicked the snot at me. Now we're going to go and win. And they tell my big receiver, you go down there about 30 yards, I'm going to nail you on the sideline. And the fun was when, the, when, the, when the, the going gets that kind of tough. And the same lesson's true in life today. Some of you are just sitting there. You say, well, the economy stinks. Ecclesiastes says you've got to try a bunch of stuff. You say, man, I can't get any interviews. You've got to try something else. Maybe you need to get training. What I want to guard you as your pastor teacher, don't sit in the curb and cry. Because you've got to get going. And there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. You're going to be hungry. You're going to have abundance. And your Heavenly Father is going to teach you so much you'll learn next week, but you've got to produce. And if you're healthy and you're walking and you're strong, you've got to engage yourself. And if you're a student, you've got to do that as a student. If you're a business person, do it as a business person. The final thing you need to focus, Colossians says this, and Colossians, we'll close with this. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord you are serving. Whatever you do, and Paul uses the word, whatever you do, do with all your soul. My African-American friends, my African-American friends use the word soul to mean you do it from the reality of everything inside of you. If you're going to sing, you do it with soul. It means that you do it with the rhythm, you do it with the heartbeat of your life, and it makes it real. As you leave this room today, when it comes to your home finance, I want to pray that some of you, husbands and wives and children, were going to say, man... I'm going to believe God is the source of my wealth. He gives me the ability to generate wealth. I'm going to trust him. And that will take the fear away. I don't have to be afraid anymore. But then I want you to realize that I I hear the Son of God telling me, but I've got to exercise my use of finances with skill. So I'm going to plan, and I'm going to produce, I'm going to figure out concrete things I can do to execute that plan. And then I'm going to do it. With pinpoint focus, I'm going to do it with all of my soul, with all of my mind. Will God provide you? I started knocking on doors in L.A. that day. The Lord worked tremendous miracles. Mary met a lady that put us up in Riverside, California. She didn't charge us any rent. She fed me Cornish hens and sirloin steaks at 10.30 in the morning when I got home. Mary had a beautiful swimming pool she could enjoy all during the day. And when we left Southern California, 10 weeks later, the Lord gave us money for school paid all of our expenses out there, and we were ready to go for another semester. Was it hard? Yeah, really hard. But man, was it fun. Man, was it exciting. And the Lord's been doing that for 35 years of our marriage. Ups and downs, discouragement, and don't say, well, Dave, everything goes great for you. I got a granddaughter with Rett syndrome where we're balling last Saturday looking at little boy. My nephew just left for Iraq. Life is tough. Sometimes it sucks. That's the truth. What are you going to do with it? And I want to be in a church family. When we get together next Sunday morning, I want some business people to come here and say, I want you to know, God showed up in my life this week. I know it. You taught us that he's the source of my wealth. I want you to know he is. And as we gather together this Sunday morning, I just want to thank my heavenly daddy because he gave me power to generate wealth. Some of you, some of you are saying, I'm so scared. You know, you're building this building out here. and You've got all these new people. What are we ever going to do? I don't think we're going to handle that. I want you to get out of the way. I'm serious. You say, why do you say that? Because we, I just in this auditorium saw 300 little kids quoting verses one after another, and one little kid pulling me on the thing says, Pastor Dave, I want to get baptized because I just received Jesus. That's the truth. Businessmen, that's the truth. Businesswomen, that's the truth. I want us 
to go out this week because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to bless us. My vision is of a town, of a town where normal everyday people are totally unashamed of their Lord and Savior and they talk about him and they boast about him and they bring him into everything they're involved in. I close with this. I was at the Cedar Hill graduation Tuesday night. I wouldn't think of Cedar Hill being a real godly place. The first kid up there, salutatorian, said, I just want you to know, because I've talked a lot to business people, but students, it's the same thing for you. This student said, I just finished high school. I thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's the source of my academic ability. I just want to thank him. Before I say anything to you, I just want to thank you. Isn't that awesome? When they closed the program, the valedictorian did the same thing. And a precious little African-American, beautiful little girl, not so little, grown up now, graduating from high school, she stood up and she ended the program. Now unto him who's able to keep us from falling. To the only wise God be glory both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Students, can you do that? Businessmen, can you do it? You live in a world that says, you can't do that. Public school teachers, you say, I I can't really do anything for Jesus. It's because of public school teachers in the Cedar Hill School that students had the courage. And I want to share something with every one of you. I haven't seen anyone in the United States of America that ever fought like Ross is fighting right now. He's not fighting so that you as a born-again believer can say, I can't say anything. It's against the law. Student you have a right to say, I'm graduating from high school. Jesus is the one that enabled me to do it. And I want you to know it. You can't force it on someone else. If you're Jewish, go ahead and say you believe in Yahweh. It's fine with me. But I want born-again believers to say, in the cement plants this week, in your selling this week, in your electronic stuff you did this week, I want you to show that you believe God is the source of all my ability to make wealth. And then I want you to plan, I want you to produce, and I want you to focus with pinpoint accuracy and with passion in what you're doing.